Stand by. Hello and welcome to the Lackadaisical Libricubicularist. And now your host, Jordan Maywood. Hello! Welcome to the Libricube. I am, as always, Jordan Maywood, the Lackadaisical Libricubicularist. Today is Wednesday. December, December, January, I mean, the 9th. Wednesday, within the Liberal Cube, of course, means it is Book Bow Wednesday, in which we discuss books, or novels, or literature, known by many, many names. I have a very... Very? Yeah. No, just one very. We'll stick with one very. A very special episode today because um, I am going to review two books. Huh. How about that? Uh, I have a uh, sort of a backlog of books that I have read and have not yet done uh, done Book Wednesday podcast on. So we're going to do two. Um, with those two, I'm also going to have two sponsors. What? Double sponsors? Double books? Let me tell you, my friends, you have picked a goddamn good day to listen to this podcast. Have you not? You have. I like asking questions and then immediately answering them for you. It gives me great pleasure. Okay, so, book the first. Oh, uh, shit, before I do that, what I nearly forgot, was to mention that there will be spoilers. Alright? You have been warned. This is your one and only warning, unless every once in a while, when I say something really big and important, sometimes, don't rely on it, sometimes I will also say spoiler warning. Okay, so, jumping in to Book Wednesday, Book the First, is sponsored by Dr. Zeus's Gynecologist. Once again, sponsor of Book the First is Dr. Zeus's Gynecologists. Remember, once a year, you should have your sneeches checked. Long pause there for dramatic effect, or uh, probably more accurately, comedic effect in that case. The first book, um, maybe I'll just mention, for no other reason than to mention it, uh, that I am going to talk about these books in the opposite order that I read them, because um, the f- this first book, which I'll just say the title, so you're not sitting on the edge of your seats, as you mo- no doubt are, uh, is called Tuesdays with Maury. Um... Tuesdays with Maury by Mr. Mitch Ablom. Ablom. Strange last name. Uh, I figured I'd rather do this book in the morning because I have a feeling I have less to talk about and it's much more depressing and uh, I'm going to stop and get a coffee and some breakfast. So, uh, yeah, that's my, uh, my reasoning. Okay? Okay. 
Tuesdays with Maury. One of the saddest books I have ever read. Uh, Why don't we just go right off the bat and say I cried very much while reading this book. Alright? More so than I can remember in uh, any other book. It is about Maury, who's an old uh, Jewish former college professor who is diagnosed with uh, ALS, otherwise known most frequently as Lou Gehrig's disease. Uh, At the company I work at, we did probably a month or two ago, we talked about sort of uh, debilitating diseases such as this one. Uh, because we sell wheelchair cushions and backs and things like that. So uh, I am probably more familiar than I was at least a couple of months ago with this disease that uh, is something that is pretty scary because what it does to you is basically you slowly... um, How do I describe it? Uh, I will describe it, but probably will not do it justice, and I mean that both in how bad it is and in medical terms, um, slowly you uh, sort of lose the functions of your body. That's kind of boiled down. So it'll start off with, um, you'll have trouble, I think it always starts kind of from the bottom up, at least that's what I think happens. Um, So you'll have trouble walking. You'll become more fatigued when walking. Uh, And then eventually, uh, to walk, you'll have to walk with a cane, and then maybe with a walker, and then uh, you won't be able to walk, and you'll be in a wheelchair, and then you'll be able to, uh, what they call, self-propel your wheelchair. Uh, but then your arms will slowly deteriorate as well and uh, until your whole body eventually becomes sort of not working whatsoever. Um, something that uh, Maury points out, the sort of sadistic uh, thing with Lou Gehrig's disease, is that, uh, is that even though you can't move your body, you still feel pain. So... Uh, Something that a lot of people don't realize, uh, unless you become conscious of it by uh, listening to a talk about what Lou Gehrig's disease does to you, for example, um, you move and sort of fidget and reposition your body um, probably thousands of times in a day. Just sitting in your chair, you'll move a little bit to get a little more comfortable. It's just a sort of constant battle to relieve pressure on your skin on your muscles, on your bones. Uh, When you can't do that, you will quite often uh, develop sores, uh, and it's just a whole whole big mess. So, (laughs) that's sort of the the whole backdrop of this book, is that this is happening to Maury, which, uh, as you can imagine, makes for a very, very depressing read. On the one hand, I should say, because on the other hand, he... uh, decides right off the bat that he wants to, and this is sort of a quote, he wants to live life. Uh, He, rather than take the option of sort of uh, 
cutting himself off from society and deciding this is it. Uh, I'm going to die because it is a, a fatal disease. Usually um, within, I think when we talked about it, four or five years is sort of the norm. However, there are uh, exceptions, probably, well, definitely the most notable being uh, Mr. Stephen Hawking, who suffers from this and has for uh, decades now. So when he was diagnosed originally with Lou Gehrig's disease, they told him, you know, the standard four or five years, and here he is decades later, still uh, chugging along. So good on him, good on us as a human species to have him still with us, because he is probably the, might be safe to say this, smartest living human being uh, alive today. How about that? Just to throw that out there. Was this, you know what, uh, I don't know off the top of my head, was this based on a true story? Um, why do I think it might have been? Alright folks, uh, as I mentioned, we'll, we'll pick up uh, in a little, uh, after a little magical, magical editing, because I'm going to stop and, uh, you know, get a coffee, get a little, get a little bracky into me, as I do once a week. So, uh, I'm going to edit this part out. You're going to have to take my word that I am, in fact, stopping and get a coffee, because you don't know. You have no idea. I could, perhaps, uh, be pitching, picking up this uh, half-naked, teenage, voluptuous hitchhiker right here. Uh, kind of strange that it's January and she's half-naked, I know, but uh, what are you going to do, right? Back in, um, well, she's pretty attractive. Back in uh, five minutes. Editing. 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 On the road again. The road again. All right. We are back. Mission accomplished. Let's jump back in to Tuesdays with Maury. So now we know where Maury comes into the story. Why does Tuesdays in the title? Because uh, on Tuesdays, one of Maury's former students, who, um, I was going to say Maury had a big impact on his life, but by the end of the book, you kind of got the feeling that the feeling was mutual. They both uh, sort of impact, impacted each other's lives. Uh, they sort of drift, drifted apart after college, uh, which will happen, which is sad. And then um, this student saw on the news... Mr. Uh, Ted Koppel, Mr. Ted Koppel doing a interview uh, with Maury about how he was basically going to die and his, uh, his thoughts, his outlook on, on that process and what it meant. So he saw that and was very moved by it and decided to uh, go and see his former professor. Uh, so that's what happens, and the, basically the whole book is Maury giving his sort of life lessons, uh, things he knows that wants to pass on, things he wish he knew when he was younger. The book is broken up into different lessons, I guess you could say, different Tuesdays in which this former student visits him. Uh, very well written. Uh, I liked some of the lessons. Some of them I might not necessarily agree with. Um, but then again, it's hard to disagree with a sort of elderly, dying Jewish man who probably knows a lot more than I do. 
<coughs> still, <laughs> we all have our opinions, I guess. Uh, very moving, as I mentioned, definitely at the end, and here is, I guess, a spoiler, but probably not. He, he does die, uh, succumbed to his disease. Uh, it really, really, really got me thinking about my grandfather, who died of cancer, um, so that's probably why it, uh, it got to me so much. But uh, I did cry at the end, like a little, little girl. I'm not afraid to admit it. I'm man enough to admit it. <sighs> uh, as for rating of the novel, I will go four to five. Uh, I debated, actually, giving it a five out of five. However, <laughs> my kind of thought on that was that I can't give a book that makes me cry five out of five. <laughs> How about that for a thought? Goddamn book made me cry. I'm not going to give it a five out of five. Fucking book. Uh, so, that's why I didn't get a five out of five. If you like a depressing book, I highly recommend this one. I think I've mentioned on past Book Wednesdays, or maybe on one of the very rare The Misses episodes where she visited, visited the podcast, that she likes a depressing book, so what I should probably do is uh, pass this on to her. That would be smart of me. Jordan, mental note to yourself. When editing this podcast, mention to Emily that she should read this book. Sometimes I'll leave myself uh, notes like that and edit them out. That one I'm going to leave in, because why not? All right, folks, so... I am uh, just about at work, so we'll end her there. Uh, I knew I wouldn't have a great deal to talk about with that book, just because it was basically kind of just two guys sitting in a room talking about life, which uh, may or may not appeal to you. Uh, I hope it does, because it, it was very good. I am going to go into work, do eight hours of work, and then uh, come back and discuss my other novel. Let's uh, give a little tease here and say it is a science fiction novel. Mm -hmm. Tease, tease. Love you, Jerry's. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> I'm a fool to do your dirty working, working, working. And we're back. We are back. We are back. We are back. We are back. 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 We are back. Back in action. Hello again. Eight hours of work. Uh, done. Completed. Mission accomplished. Finito. Yeah. Finito. There's one we haven't thrown in yet. So let's jump right back into Book Wednesday. Since uh, we have two books today, so we gotta we gotta power through them, don't we? Left off this morning, polished off Tuesdays with Maury. What did we give him? Four, uh, four to five. Yes, yes. This next book, uh, my little tease there was it's uh, sci-fi. Uh, I will say that I read this right after reading the Shadow March series. If you listen to my book, Bo Wednesdays, from that series, you will know that um, I liked it other than the fact that um, it was much, much longer than it had to be. They were all 
sort of 700-page books that I think could have easily been 300-page books. So, uh, I decided to throw in what I like to call a sort of guilty pleasure, a nice easy read. Definite easy read is, is a way to describe a book such as this, which I will throw in every once in a while, and we'll say the title um, right now. It's called Star Trek Deep Space Nine, The Big Game. Oh. This is a... Uh, if you aren't familiar with Star Trek, where have you been? You, you poor, poor bastard. Uh, also, something... Although, something you may not know about uh, the Star Trek universe is there are a giant library. There are. There is a giant library of Star Trek books. Huge. Um, I have, let's see, when it comes to, I, I kind of just have the, the Deep Space Nine ones, mostly, for the most part, just because that was my favorite. And I think, uh, just from a book writing point of view, it gets a little, it's a little, <laughs> I don't know if I could say this, but for some reason I, I think it's a little more highbrow as far as Star Trek books go. Um, <laughs> and take that with a grain of salt, because these are not books that you would probably brag about reading. Uh, that being said, I enjoy them, so shut up, alright? Screw you. Uh, this one is, I think, three or four or five uh, in the Star Trek Deep Space Nine book series that goes, I believe, into the hundreds. Uh, so, every once in a while I'll bring one of these back. Don't you worry. This one was by a Mr. or Mrs. <laughs> Sandy Schofield, uh, called The Big Game, as I mentioned. The Big Game, in this case, is Texas Hold'em Poker. Huh. How about that? So, uh, what they did here, I think, was when the, uh, the, the Texas Hold'em Poker, which I guess is still big, maybe, I don't know, um, when it kind of exploded, they uh, decided to take that explosion of pokery goodness and combine it with Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So, to me, that's a damn good idea. Uh, so thank you, Sandy Schofield, for combining these two. Two things I love. In fact, uh, I'm a big Texas Hold'em poker fan, although have not played much in years. Uh, at one time in my life, played probably every week, and had some times where played for 12 hours in one sitting. I really got big into it. Okay, so, the game, the game. If you are unfamiliar with Star Trek Deep Space Nine, uh, let me point out that on this space station, there's a character by the name of Cork, and he is a Ferengi gentleman. The Ferengi are known for sort of their shady business acumen, let's say it that way. Um, if there was ever a uh, fake, made-up species that you should not trust, I would probably go with Ferengi. Yeah. What else would be on that list? That's a good question. I'll tell you what. Uh, if anyone has thoughts of fake species in either literature, if you can call this literature, or TV or movies that uh, you should not trust, uh, email them 
to me in the email address provided in the closing credits, and uh, I'll bring them back here and we'll talk about them. Maybe, uh, maybe make a list. Plan? Plan. Oh, shit. You know what uh, I forgot to do? This book is sponsored by Pickwick Brand Rolling Papers. Once again, sponsored by Pickwick Brand Rolling Papers. Pickwick Papers. Is the joke I'm going for there? (laughs) Ah, yes, explaining the joke. That is, to me, sometimes the funniest jokes when they have, when they have to be explained. Mmm, indeed. Okay, so, uh, Cork decides to invite serious poker players from all over, uh, the quadrant. All over, all quadrants, really. He has, um, uh, starts off this tournament with, um, I think it was, did I write it down? I thought I did. Uh, ten tables of eight, so uh, a fairly sizable uh, tournament. You have to be, A, invited because of your known port- poker skills, and B, have, I think it was, 100 bars of gold-pressed latinum, which is, uh, apparently, in the future, gold is virtually uh, worthless, however... Latinum, <laughs> gold depressed latinum. Uh, it's it's almost like a gold bar, but um, I forget which episode I saw this in. It's almost like a gold bar, but inside the gold bar is this kind of mercury-looking liquid that is super super worth a lot of money all over the place for some unknown reason. I don't know if they've ever gone into that other than the fact that it's rare. Okay, so there's a little uh, Star Trek. Um, financial uh, report for you, in case you are ever transported (laughs) to uh, the uh, Star Trek universe. Alright, alright. Alright, alright. This tournament begins, and as uh, happens in a mystery novel, which Star Trek is not, I guess, known for writing mystery novels, a murder happens. Murder most foul. Uh, so I like that, because it was almost like uh, a poker tournament, you got your Star Trek shit, and then you got a murder mystery all rolled into one neat little package. Uh, I have a list here of some of the players in the game. Most of them are just kind of throwaway players, uh, like groups of Klingons. Klingons? I was out trouble. I always feel I have trouble saying that word. Klingons. 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 Meh. Klingons. Oh, that's better. A bunch of Romulans, a bunch of humans. It's funny, they went into a whole spiel how uh, Commander Riker was invited. Uh, However, he couldn't make it at the last minute. Uh, If you've ever watched Star Trek The Next Generation, you will know that Commander Riker is super, super good at poker, so it's kind of funny. They gave him a little little tip of the cap there. Eventually, we're sort of boiled down. Let me see if I can give you uh, some of the final table. Cork could not play because he was running the game. However, the leader, sort of financial leader, I guess you could say, of the Ferengi people, known as the Grand Nagus, he uh, was the second last? Uh, yeah, I think he was the second last in the tournament. Also, because... <laughs> 
it's kind of weird how they did this. I, I guess on some level it's logical. Uh, because of the murder of, uh, of a Romulan, I should maybe specify, uh, during the first opening uh, plays of the tournament, uh, Chief Security Officer Odo decide, decided to um, join the poker game so he could be playing and sort of keeping an eye on everybody, which I, I guess from a, a standpoint makes sense. Where it kind of stopped making sense for me is that um, you've got 10 uh, tables of 8 players, so 80 people. Once you're down to the last table, should he not maybe stop playing? under the assumption that, you know, there's... <laughs> don't make me do math, please. The vast majority of the players are out, therefore your murderer is probably out. So why would you stay with the remaining eight players? Are you making the assumption that a murderer is good at playing poker? Is that is that what you're doing? Anyways, some non-logical things like that. That's sort of... Um, if you ever watch... Well, a lot of shows, Star Trek included, you'll have sort of an A plot and a B plot. This book, kind of, uh, the poker, it's hard to say. I'd almost go B plot and B plot. Um, the B plot of the poker game and the B plot of the, the space station that they live on, Deep Space Nine, is having all sorts of... Uh, technical problems, let's say, and uh, nobody knows what's causing them. They get more and more serious. Things escalate to the point where um, they don't call it this, I don't think, um, but there's uh, the the danger of a warp core breach, let's say. Uh, they use different terms, though, for some reason. Almost like, and I got this impression a couple of times, that Sandy Schofield, the offer, offer, the author was not quite as familiar with Star Trek stuff as, um, say, me, <laughs> for example. Uh, for example, he or she, a couple of times when describing uh, Odo, said odd things. Um, if you don't know, Chief Security Officer Odo from Deep Space Nine is a shapeshifter. Very, very cool ability if you ask me. And um, I forget some of the things. One that comes to mind was that he said uh, Odo's throat was dry. Um, if you know anything of the physiology of Odo, you will know that his throat would not get dry because he is a shapeshifter and has no organs or nothing that would create or nothing that would need to create moisture in his throat, for example. Uh, things like that. Uh, I know what you're thinking, maybe. If you are listening to this and are a super Deep Space Nine fan, there was a time where Odo lost his shape-shifting ability and became basically human. Uh, that is not the case, because at one point he did shape-shift. Okay? What else do we I got here? Uh, so final table, you got uh, Dr. Bashir. He stepped in, actually, at, at the last moment for... Uh, Commander Riker, who couldn't make it, the Negus, Odo, oh, uh, Garak, Garak, depending on how you want to say it, who is a Cardassian, most think spy, Cardassian spy, also Cardassian Taylor, he, uh, I'm always a big fan of him, the guy who plays him on the show is a really good actor, just to throw that out there, uh, there's a Bajoran, what else, 
Okay, so that's uh, that's kind of it for the poker, let's say, since we're getting close to home. So while all this poker game's going on, shit start to, starts to go uh, go awry on the station, technically speaking, uh, and nobody knows why. It turns out why, and here's some spoilers, I guess, that within... Uh, how do I explain this? It's cool how they explained it. Sort of in a... Oh, jeez. <laughs> getting kind of deep sci-fi here. Sort of in a side pocket of our dimension. So, within our dimension... Okay, how about this? Um, imagine that within our dimension there is sort of invisible things happening all around us at all times that we can't see, but they are sort of... Oh, yeah, yeah. Out of phase with us. Okay? So, there is a group of beings that live within this out-of-phase dimension. Okay? With me so far? I hope you are. Um, so somehow we have developed, we being the people of Star Trek Universe, have developed the technology to travel to this out-of-phase universe. Okay? Still? Still making, making sense? Sure, I guess. Uh, the reason... <laughs> this is where it's kind of weird. The reason that... Um, this technology has been developed, or I don't know why it's been developed, but it's been developed and it is being used so that people, humans, Klingons, Cardassians, whatever, can travel to this out-of-phase dimension and hunt these beings that live in this dimension. Okay? Uh, the way they make it sound is sort of like these beings are kind of... Uh, I would describe them as sort of glowy octopus whale-like creatures that fly through space, and then we go out of phase and then track them down and kill them and bring back their bodies, or bring back their live captured bodies because they're worth a lot of money. Um, some not logical points there, I imagine. Uh, and every time we're... While this is happening, while we're out of phase, it causes havoc with the actual sort of factual, real universe. So that's why shit was going down. So it was up to the crew of Deep Space Nine to travel to this alternate out-of-phase universe, uh, get these sort of pirate um, whale-hunting, but not whale-hunters, uh, to stop their shenanigans. So the, space so the space station does not blow up and kill everyone, including the people playing poker. So it's like, as the tension mounts in the poker game, um, the tension of the real-life possible explosion and killing of everybody uh, is happening. And then, just to top it off, um, the Bajorans and the Cardassians think uh, that these malfunctions, because the malfunctions are not uh, relegated to just the space station. They're sort of all over this quadrant of space, so it's like all ships are, are having basically ship breaking down on them and potentially fatally breaking down on them, and they think it's their enemies causing it. However, it's just these pirate whaling space guys, space pirate whalers. So then that has uh, the potential and almost comes to starting a war. <laughs> so really, uh, would you say it like that? It sounds pretty exciting, doesn't it? 
a, uh, a poker game getting slowly, slowly more exciting with a murder mystery uh, because people, not just one, in fact, but a couple, people get murdered at the poker table because of the malfunctions caused by space uh, whaling pirate guys because their technology causes shit to fail, including the lights, which allows for the murder, including all uh, ships in the quadrant falling apart and blaming other ships that uh, could ignite a war over the entire universe. What? Oh, man, I really like this book, apparently. <laughs> Seems I'm very excited describing it. I had so many notes here. <laughs> I had two pages of notes of things to say. But uh, I didn't really say any of them, just in my excitement. So, uh, I'm at home. Oops. Okay, so we'll end it with uh, giving my spoiler of who won the poker. It came down to Odo, the shape-shifting security guard, and the Grand Nagus, the leader of the Ferengi people, as you can imagine. Uh, I should mention that originally he was cheating, but basically got caught for his cheating, kind of. But even when he, after he did get caught, he still continued to win, so good on him. Uh, it was down to those two mighty titans. It was funny because Odo literally learned to play the, the day before, so uh, I don't really know how they logically explain that, how he was so good. Beginner's luck, maybe, I guess. That exists in the Star Trek universe. Uh, the winner was Odo. Odo was the winner. He donated. <laughs> Wart, uh, Cork paid for him to go in. Uh, they have a great rivalry between the two of them. Cork paid for him to go into the tournament, and then instead of giving all the winnings to Cork, as he probably should have, he donated it all to the Bajoran orphans. Terrific. Love it. Uh, I was planning on giving it, like, uh, I don't know, like a three or four. However, just in my excitement, I'm going to say, fuck it, and do the unexpected for a book like this just because just because it's not going to win any uh, literature awards doesn't mean you can't enjoy it all right don't be a, don't be a book snob i'm going to give it a 5 so screw you and it's nice to be nice to the nice after saying screw you i say that does it make sense i don't care it's nice to be nice to the nice thank you for listening this has been another edition of the Lackadaisical Libra Cubicle Wrist. We here in the Liberal Cube would love to hear from you. If for any reason you would like to contact us, you can do so via the email address mailwood.jordan at gmail.com. And now I have a theory. I've got a theory that it's a demon, a dancing demon. No, something isn't right there. I've got a theory. The best is yet to come, and babe, won't it be fine? You think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Wait till the warm-up's underway. Wait till our lips have met. Wait till you see that sunshine day You ain't seen nothing yet The best is yet to come and be Won't it be fine? The best is yet to come, come the day you're mine <laughs>
long and prosper.